Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Oh, hi, hello there. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am that woman who rants to you, Liv. You remember. Well... With spooky season over and that spooky election done and for the better, we're diving back into that oh-so-problematic founder of Rome, Aeneas. I do hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Bettany Hughes. It was truly such a thrill for me and so, so fascinating to learn so much more about Aphrodite, her history, the archaeology, and the ancestral goddesses of the region. Just fucking fascinating. You should definitely read the book too, Venus and Aphrodite. It was so good and so interesting and just really pulled you in. Highly recommend. And speaking of Venus... Let's head back to her obnoxious and privileged son, Aeneas, shall we? Where we last left Aeneas, he had fled the sacked, destroyed city of Troy, leaving his wife there to die alone, before traveling and eventually landing on Carthage, where he developed some kind of relationship with Dido, the badass queen, eventually causing her death via the interference of that mother of his, Venus. Dido's death was a fucking tragedy. She was a queen who'd founded a whole city on her own, far from her homeland, and built it into an incredible and important city in Libya, modern Tunisia. Her death, and the fall of Carthage as a result, was entirely developed out of Rome's disdain for the city, which they had recently completely decimated and burned to the ground. So Augustus had Virgil kill off their queen just to rub salt in some already very, very sore wounds. Anyway, we're on Dido's side on this podcast. It can't be helped. So Aeneas left, along with the other remaining Trojans, still hell-bent on founding that new city of Troy, what will, in time, become Rome. 
First, though, he lands on Sicily, where there was an old friend from Troy. They hold some late funereal games for his father, and someone lands in a huge pile of shit. The Trojans' numbers dwindled there in Sicily, because anyone who didn't want to continue on to Italy was allowed to stay. They found a city there called Ilium, and the country they called Troy. Then, finally, finally, Aeneas and the others, who will continue on, sailed off. This is episode 99, Aeneas and Kizzy's and Underworld Propaganda. The men of Troy, those who will continue on to Italy to find the river Tiber, set sail with Venus, Aeneas's mother, having assurances from Neptune that he will help Aeneas reach that land and that he won't make it any more difficult than it already has been. Neptune assured Venus that the men would arrive safely on those foreign shores, but, he adds, there must be one life sacrificed in order to allow the rest of the men to live. Ominous indeed. So the ship sails off across the calm seas, with Aeneas's helmsman Palernus paying close attention, weary of past storms they've faced. Finally, The gods try to help him rest along with the other men on the ship as it becomes night and the seas are calm. The god of sleep, Somnus, appears disguised as one of the men on the ship, telling Palernus to go to sleep, but he's wary and it takes Somnus forcing him into sleep for the man to finally rest. With Palernus asleep, Somnus causes him to fall overboard and into the sea, becoming that single life sacrificed in order for the rest to live. With Palernus sacrificed to the depths of the sea, the ship sails on smoothly, just as Neptune had promised. But without anyone at the helm, the ship drifts off towards the islands of the Sirens, because it mustn't be only Odysseus that overcomes such trials on his journey across the Mediterranean. But... Just to one-up Odysseus again, Aeneas actually wakes up and finds the ship drifting without Palernus. He steers the ship in the right direction, avoiding the sirens and calling out to his dead friend, lost to the bottom of the sea. So, with the one man sacrificed unknowingly to the sea in order to allow the rest of the Trojans to continue safely on their journey, the ship sails on. Eventually, they land in Euboean Cumae, an ancient Greek colony on the mainland of Italy, near what is now Naples. They've made their way up the Italian mainland now, getting closer and closer to the location where Aeneas intends to fulfill his destiny and found a great city. When they land on the shores of Cumae, the men begin to explore. It's a forested area full of wild beasts and many rivers. Beyond, Aeneas finds a stronghold of Apollo that marks a cave. A huge cave where there lives a Sibyl, a prophetess of Apollo. You know the type. And it was said that Daedalus was one of the people who built the temple to Apollo there. It seems when he escaped King Minos and flew off from Crete, he eventually landed there in Italy. He offered his wings there to Apollo and in thanks built him a temple. The temple where Aeneas stands has the death of Minos's son, Androgeos, carved into the door and the fine paid by Athens as a result. 
all those young Athenians sacrificed to the monstrous Minotaur. Beyond that, Crete is depicted there on the temple, along with all of its rulers and flaws and foibles. You know, Pasiphae and the bull, the Minotaur itself, and that endless, hopeless labyrinth. Poor Daedalus tried so hard to tell the story of his son's death, too, there on the temple to Apollo, but he was caught in such grief he never finished. Aeneas and the Trojans are interrupted from their appreciation of this temple, the telling of the stories of Crete through the artwork, by a priestess of Diana. Diphobe is her name. She comes from within the temple and tells them that they shouldn't just be standing there. They must sacrifice to the gods. Seven calves and seven ewes, and they must be chosen very carefully, she says. The Trojans do as she tells them, and once they're done, they're invited into the cave that is reached from within the temple that they'd spent so much time staring at. There, within the cave, is the Sibyl. In essence, she's an oracle, her role is the same. It's there, in this cave, within the temple to Apollo, that Aeneas asks what his fate will be. Here in the Aeneid, we have a description of the actions of one of these prophetesses of Apollo, how they handle coming up with their prophecies. Quote, her color and expression changed, her hair blew wild, she panted, heart full of frenzy, and she seemed to tower and echo a divine voice since the god was near. Oh, it's so cool. Through the Sibyl, Aeneas calls out to Apollo, calling on the sympathy he's had in the past for the Trojans. Apollo helped them during the war, surely he wants the best for them now. Aeneas calls out, asking for help. He speaks of all they've been through already, as they search for that elusive Italy where they're to found their city. Quote, Troy's fortunes must not dog us any further. He asks Apollo for an end to their misfortunes. He tells him that the gods have done enough. They need not make things any harder or for any longer. He tells Apollo that all he seeks is, quote, that realm fate owes me. A very Aeneas statement, telling a god that he's owed something, no matter what the gods have to say about it. Aeneas believes that since he's fated to found this city, he is owed it. The founding of the city of Rome is fated by the gods, owed by the gods. There is no other way. The world was meant to have Rome. A quick note, I do a lot of conflating with the city that Aeneas is destined to found with Rome itself, it doesn't happen right away. But the whole point of the propaganda of Aeneas being a descendant of the founders of Rome is the point, hence why I tend to conflate it a little bit. Aeneas wants these answers from Apollo, so he begins to bribe. He tells Apollo that when he founds the city in Latium, he will build a shrine to Apollo and to his sister Diana, that he'll hold a festival in the gods' honor. Essentially, he'll do anything for Apollo to help him on his way. It's not over yet, is essentially the answer the Sibyl gives to Aeneas. Your trials by sea are finished, she explains, much to his and the Trojans' relief. But there is still much to deal with on land. The Sibyl foretells war, so much war, and the Tiber River filling with blood and gore just as the river Xanthus and Simois did on the plains of Troy. 
She foretells another foe, like that of Achilles, and Juno's continued desire to punish Aeneas. She foretells another foreign wife, more ruin brought from that. But, she tells Aeneas, you mustn't give in. Safety will come via a Greek town. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Aeneas takes in what the Sibyl has told him. Nothing he didn't expect, really. He knew it wasn't over yet. But, he asks her, tell me if this cave is not an entrance to the underworld itself. He wishes to visit his father, he tells her. Will this not lead to the river Asheron? Tell me the way. Aeneas pulls on some heartstrings as he talks about his father, how he saved him from Troy and brought him all that way, how Anchises deserved a better fate, and how Aeneas just wishes to speak with him once more. Aeneas asks all of this, and the Sibyl is more than happy to tell Aeneas exactly how to get to the underworld so that he may visit his father. Things do seem to come pretty easy for Aeneas, but then that's the propaganda coming through, isn't it? The woman tells Aeneas this, Deep in the foliage of a very dense tree there is a golden bough, a branch, that is sacred to the goddess Juno. The whole of the forest around it is meant to hide this branch, the Sibyl tells Aeneas. No man may enter the depths of the underworld until he's plucked this branch, this offering from Proserpina herself. Once it is pulled, another branch of gold will replace it. If fate allows you, you will be able to remove the branch, she tells Aeneas. If not, you may use all the strength you have, but you won't be able to. The Sibyl continues, now reprimanding Aeneas. What are you here for, wasting time with my prophecies, when one of your men lies dead, awaiting his funeral rites? She tells Aeneas off, basically, tells him to go handle that, to sacrifice black sheep, and then go from there. So much happens in this book. (laughs) 
Aeneas leaves the Sibyl's cave with his faithful friend, Achates, and both men are equally confused. Who is dead? They ask themselves, much as I just did when I was writing this. But by the time they get back to the camp, they've learned. A man named Mycenas is dead, one of the great heroes of Troy who followed Aeneas on his journey. Now, it seems, he's drowned by the god Triton, the son of Neptune, when Mycenas blew on a conch shell and challenged the gods in music. Truly, these stories seem to appear out of nowhere in this book, but there you have it. Triton caught Mycenas amongst rocks and drowned him for the conch shell thing. So, proceeding as they'd been told they should, Aeneas and the Trojans mourn Mycenas and give him all of the necessary funereal rites before Aeneas and the other Trojans head back into the nearby forest, the deep, dense, and dark forest, to look for the golden branch. They start by cutting indiscriminately, which, rude, sad, unnecessary, but they do. They cut down pines and oaks with their axes. They split ash and even more oak. They take apart this forest, but Aeneas still can't find the branch. Finally, he calls aloud, wondering if he's meant to find it at all. And just as he finishes speaking... Aeneas spots doves in the air. He knows they're his mother's birds, so he calls to them, asking the birds to show him where he's meant to look for this golden bough. The birds of Venus do as Aeneas asks. They lead him on his way. He follows close behind, and just as he reaches the river Avernus, he finds the branch, that golden bough. Aeneas grasps the branch and wrenches it from the tree, succeeding in removing it. What luck! It seems Aeneas is meant to travel to the underworld after all. With the golden bough successfully retrieved, Aeneas returns it to the Sibyl's cave. Meanwhile, the Trojans are mourning Mycenas as they're supposed to, building a massive funeral pyre for the man. And so finally, with that finished, Aeneas rushes to follow the rest of the Sibyl's instructions with her by his side. A huge, gaping, pitch-black cave with a black lake. There, they call upon Hecate. Aeneas and the men slaughter the black sheep as they're told, one for Nyx, Night, the mother of the Furies, one for Earth, and a cow for Proserpina. They continue performing all the rites laid out by the Sibyl, and just as the sun is beginning to rise... The earth beneath them cries out and everything begins to move. They're warned it was only to be Aeneas who can travel into that world with the Sibyl. No one else is as pure as he is, pious Aeneas. Through the darkness of the court of the underworld they walk. All the darkest beings of the world are there. Sadness, old age, fear, sleep, evil, war. A notable residence of that world includes, quote, Near the Fury's iron rooms, crazed discord lives there. Her hair of snakes tied up with blood-stained ribbons. Ah, <gasps> Eris. They continue on in the darkness. Spooky trees line the path. They can hear and see countless monsters of all horrifying shapes and sizes. 
the Lernian Hydra, centaurs, half-human skillas, whatever they mean by that scary concept, the Chimera, Gorgons and Harpies, the giants Garion and Briarius. Aeneas wields his sword against the beasts, but he doesn't need it. They're shades. The monsters lack corporeality. Just misty concepts in the depths of the underworld's darkness. The path guides them finally to the river Asheron, thick with mud, where Sharon the boatman guards the river's waters. There he sails his small boat, he himself both falling apart and simultaneously sturdy and strong. The dead pour themselves towards the shores, quote, mothers and grown men and the lifeless bodies of daring heroes, boys, unmarried girls, young men whose parents saw them placed upon the pyre. The shore is filled with the ghosts of those who cannot cross the river, always desperately seeking to. Aeneas doesn't understand. He wonders why there are so many there, and why they are so desperate for the shore, pushing and shoving their way through. The Sibyl, though, tells him of their sad fate. These are the dead who lay unburied, she tells Aeneas. They must spend one hundred years on this shore, the edge of the Asheron, or in deep Cocytus's pools, swampy sticks. Once those years are up, Sharon will ferry them over to the pools they seek, where they can rest. There Aeneas sees many men he knew from Troy, those who fell on the battlefield and lacked a burial, even Palernus, his ship's helmsman, who fell overboard so recently. Aeneas speaks to him, asking of his fate and how he came by it during the night when he fell overboard. Finally, Aeneas and the Sibyl reach the edge of the river and are spotted by the boatman. "'Who are you, and why are you here with your weapons?' he asks them angrily. "'This boat is for the dead,' he tells Aeneas, not the living. The boatman goes on. He learned his lesson, he said, having carried Hercules, Theseus, and that real dickhead Pirithous over the river even though they were living. And how did that turn out? No, he tells Aeneas and the Sibyl, he's learned his lesson. The boat is for the dead and not the living. Oh, Aeneas calls to the boatman. Don't worry about us. We have nothing. We're plodding. We come in peace. Aeneas tells the man that he's only there to visit the shade of his father. He only wants to speak with him. Then they pull out the golden bough, and the boatman is immediately in awe. At this, at this golden branch, the boatman decides he will indeed take Aeneas and the Sibyl with him. He even shoves some of the dead out of the way to make room for Aeneas. A bit over the top, I would say. I mean, those people have been through some stuff too. Don't need to shove them off their seats to make room for a living dude who's traveling there for shits and giggles. But that's what happens. And the boatman carries Aeneas and the Sibyl across the river. (laughs) 
When Aeneas and the Sibyl reach the other side of the river, they land immediately in front of Cerberus himself, that massive three-headed dog that both guards the entrance of the underworld from unwanted visitors and keeps the shades of Hades safely tucked inside. Growls echo from all three of the dog's heads, and it seems the Aeneid is one of the interpretations of Cerberus that includes him having snakes for a mane or for the fur itself. However they live on the dog, there are snakes involved here, and they hiss as they watch Aeneas. But, thank the gods, the Sibyl is prepared for everything. She's the real hero of this quest Aeneas is undertaking. She throws a bit of food to Cerberus that she'd brought with her for exactly this. It's a cake of sorts, but one that's been soaked in a drug that will make the dog fall asleep. It works. Almost immediately, he happily devours the food and very quickly falls into a deep and heavy sleep. Cute little puppy. And with that, Aeneas and the Sibyl pass the dog by. The pair continue on as they venture through the underworld, They pass the judges, Minos and his brothers, who I told you about in the episode dedicated to Hades and the Underworld. They pass all the varied sections where the dead are held, depending on how they died and by whom. Finally, Aeneas even sees Dido there. Aeneas sees the shade of Dido as she wanders, having died in a way that might as well have been at Aeneas' own hands. Oh, Dido, he calls to her. The rumors were true then. You killed yourself and it's my fault. And then he tells her that he didn't really want to leave. He was just following the will of the gods. Which, I mean, fuck you, Aeneas. Seriously, you've done enough to this poor woman. No, I didn't think you'd be so hurt by my leaving, he says, in which I can only assume is a bold-faced lie. I mean, we were paying attention back in Carthage, Aeneas, weren't you? Dido tries to get away from him. She doesn't want to hear this shit. These useless excuses that mean nothing now to her that she is dead. Why are you running? He calls to her. The dick. Fate is giving us another chance. Gross. She glares at him in fury, avoiding him completely. And finally, Dido gets away from Aeneas. And finally, finally, she can be at peace. She meets Sicaeus there, her first husband, the one she loved for real, the one who didn't ruin her whole life. So there, in the underworld, they can find peace together. As Aeneas and the Sibyl continue on, they run into many more of the dead. Trojan heroes of the war, Greek heroes too, the latter were less excited to see Aeneas. Aeneas continues and comes upon one of Priam's sons. The two talk of the war, of what happened, reliving that night when the Greeks snuck in in the Trojan horse, the betrayal, the heartbreak, the death of so many Trojans. The two talk and talk, and finally the Sibyl actually has to step in, reminding Aeneas that they are on a clock, and if he wants to see his dad at all, they best continue on their way. I think I'll keep this Sibyl around to remind me that the Aeneid needs to keep going, that I'm on part nine of the episodes and only book six of the poem. Thank you, Sibyl. 
So they keep going. The Sybil points the way between the dark walls of Dis, of Hades, that separate it and Elysium, the good part of the underworld, the heaven, essentially. Aeneas is given a run-through of those dark depths of Tartarus. They're guarded by Tisiphone, one of the Furies, and full of the worst of the worst in mythological actors. Titans, giants, those who killed their families. You've heard all the stories. Once more, Aeneas is distracted in taking it all in and must again be hurried on by the Sibyl, who rushes him to the walls built by the Cyclops, where they must leave their offerings if they're to finally speak with Anchises, Aeneas's father, the reason they're there in the first place. And finally, finally, having done so, they're permitted into the flowing, lovely fields beyond. There the shades live happily, doing the things they loved in life. Orpheus is there, playing his lyre. Aeneas looks on in awe, men competing in athletic competitions, ghostly chariots pulled by horses galloping over the sunny fields. It's like a paradise. These good people, these friendly shades, crowd around the Sibyl, drawn to her as a representative of the god Apollo. Where can we find Anchises? she asks them. There are no homes or towns here, they tell her. They all just spend their time in the woods and the fields. But basically over there, they finish, pointing at a nearby hill. And so, with that... Aeneas and the Sibyl soon spot Anchises, who sees them too and rushes towards his son, so very happy to see him. Oh, you finally come, Anchises exclaims to Aeneas, asking him where he's been and what he's done since they last saw each other. They're both very emotional, of course, father and son reunited in the underworld for just a brief moment. Aeneas tells him where he is now, or rather, where his ship is and what his plan is now. He tries to hug his father three times, but every time his arms fall through the shade of his father, unable to grasp onto any solid form. The father and son talk a little more, with Aeneas asking questions of the underworld, how things work down there, where certain people end up, and how they can change their fates and get to the other realms of the underworld. But the exciting stuff comes when Anchises tells Aeneas of his future. And by exciting, I mean straight Roman propaganda. Anchises tells Aeneas how he'll succeed in Italy, founding a city in Alba Longa, and how great the kings who follow Aeneas will be. He names everyone down generations until he comes to Romulus himself. Romulus, he tells Aeneas, is a child of Mars, and through his mother, he's a Trojan too, a descendant of yourself. From there will be founded Rome. Oh, how impressive Rome will be, Anchises states very clearly. It will rule the world. And about the Romans, he continues. Of your future Romans, there will be Caesar and all of his relations. That family will make their way to the height of heaven. Oh, and Augustus Caesar, he adds, capping it all off. 
Oh, Augustus Caesar! Oh, and Kizzies tells Aeneas that he will be a god's son and a, quote, bringer of a new age of gold to Saturn's old realm of Latium. Then he lists all the places to which Augustus Caesar will bring Rome's reign. To India, and where Atlas holds the sky, to the Caspians, and so on and on and on. To the Nile, quote, even Hercules didn't travel through so much land. Rome, 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 and Augustus, Augustus, Augustus. What a speech by Anchises, making very, very clear that Augustus himself is a god, and that Rome is destined to be the greatest country the world has ever seen. It can't be denied. Anyway, Augustus is a real dweeb for making Virgil write this. I mean, come on, a little humility, please. Also, Augustus wasn't even Caesar's son, even if we're to believe that Caesar is suddenly a god. Honestly, the Aeneid is a trip. And Anchises isn't done. He proceeds to name even some of Caesar's and Augustus's enemies in the politics of Rome, laying out all the imaginable pro-Augustus propaganda. This epic poem is meant to solidify the reign of Augustus and Caesar before him, as being divinely ordained, written in the stars, unavoidable, and therefore absolutely the best thing to ever happen to Rome. Who needs democracy, anyway? Not when you've got a god for a leader. And Kizzies and Aeneas continue to talk for a while, catching up while they can. And Kizzies shows Aeneas around, where he's living now, and what it's like in the underworld. But, finally, they reach another gateway. It's the end of Aeneas and the Sibyl's journey through the underworld. And Kizzies points out what direction his son must travel in to return home to the living. And they follow it. Before long, Aeneas is back at his ships. Oh, thank you all for listening as we dive back into this endless, endless story of Aeneas. Due to at least a couple of you hoping for it, I will try to keep the Aeneid episodes a little more regular where I can. There are times when I've got special episodes planned, but otherwise we are going to get through this thing. We'll do exactly what Augustus wants of us. Before I leave you today, I have a couple quick things to say. First, I would be crazy if I didn't congratulate the United States on kicking that fascist racist out of the Oval Office. Thank fucking God. Way to go. I know some of you don't like when I weigh in on American politics, and honestly, I don't particularly care. The U.S. elections affect the whole world far more than they should, and Canada most of all. And frankly, I really want to see my best friend again. She lives in the States, and until someone's in the White House that understands what a pandemic is, that's not likely. So I personally am really fucking excited that you've elected someone who believes in science and being mostly a good person. Huzzah! And second, on a very different note, I wanted to let you all know that I will not be continuing on with the Patreon Hercules TV show series that I had started. 
I may take it up again separately with another guest host, but the person I had started it with has been outed as a predator of women in the field of classics. He's a really shit person, and I, for one, am happy to cut all ties with him and denounce him and his actions, as I have all over Twitter and now here. So, yeah, sorry about that, patrons, but I've got tons more coming at you that's way better than that episode ended up being anyway, because frankly... He was also a very boring human, which I learned after already agreeing to that series. So good riddance, no sexual predators anywhere near my show, obviously. Yeah, it's been a week. Anyway, thank you all for listening, for being awesome supporters. You're all the best. 2020 is looking up. I am Liv and I love this shit. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.